Hi folks, this is Santosh Shiva, your host at Run Yogi Diaries. Welcome back. Every week, I bring you conversations with people who are on a journey, journey of well-being through endurance sports. I hope they trigger a new possibility in you, provide you some tips and perhaps some inspiration to perspire. My guest today is a fellow YouTuber. He loves running so much that he actually switched his career from IT to becoming an osteopathic therapist. He's also someone who's passionate about multi-day racing. So we get to talk about his journey in running and his work, his experiences at the multi-day race at the Gobi Desert in Mongolia and the Atacama Desert, Chile. The prep, the training, and the mindset for something as huge like that. I was persuaded at the end of the conversation to make this a part of my bucket list. I think you will too. Let's welcome Stefan Laporte. Hey Stefan, welcome to Run Yogi Diaries. Morning Santosh, thanks for having me. Morning to you, it's evening in Houston, it's like 7.30, we have <laughs> exactly, right? exactly 12 hours difference between Saigon and Houston, which is very, which is nice because it's so easy to calculate, right? Yeah, it's seven thirty here or seven thirty morning. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, advantages of uh, you know distance. Yes. So hey, um, it's a pleasure having you on the show, right? You've had a fascinating running, uh, you uh, track record. You've been running for a long time, and you've also taken it into your profession. So it's a very uh, interesting uh, story, which I'm sure uh, our viewers will be interested to learn about. So let me hand it back to you to do a quick uh, introduction and then we'll jump in. Sure, thanks. Uh, so my name is Stefan and I, I've been living in Vietnam for about 11 years and I'm an osteopathic therapist and a sports scientist with a strong passion for uh, running and sports in general. So um my 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 life today is trying to help people with all sorts of ailments, musculoskeletal injuries, um, headaches, back pain, neck pain, uh, a lot of office related things. But again, because I enjoy running so much, I do want to give back to the running community um, mostly. I hope my boss doesn't hear that. <laughs> because most of the people at the hospital who come, they uh, they 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 have other things than uh, running in their life. <laughs> so for me, it's very it's very niche, but that's what I enjoy doing, and 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 this is what I I want to do. Not that I don't want to treat other people. I love it. I enjoy every day that I spend uh, doing therapy at the hospital. But runners, that's what I yes. do. Awesome. And that's why I found uh, your story so fascinating. You know, you have a YouTube channel and you're putting those awesome videos which help runners across the globe. And, you know, you, you, you're doing this for everyone who's running. Very nice snob, star, uh, short videos. So we'll talk about that uh, a little later. But before that, I know you have a fascinating story about how you got in, into uh, being an osteopath as well. Um, Let's start with that. You know, uh, your passion for running took you into a different direction and profession as well. So let's hear about that. Right. So I've been um, running for about 25 years now, so uh, quite a bit and pretty accidentally. I was always into sports. I, I played basketball as a teenager and other sports with friends. And when I moved to Hong Kong in 1999, I was just at the gym. And there was a treadmill available. I had no idea what it was, how to use it. And I tried it for about 20 minutes. I had a, I had a blast. I was exhausted at the end. And to my surprise, there was no soreness the next day. It felt good. And I was like, this is, this is running. That sport is interesting. So I tried it again and uh, I got, I got hooked. And, and then and then I guess injured, <laughs> not immediately, of course, but a few years later I got injured and uh, I started spending a lot of time at the physiotherapists because I was running a lot. I, I, I got to the point that I was doing trail runs through a whole season. It was maybe six months of racing, perhaps every week or every couple of weeks. So like 
signing up to races and doing races week after week, which which is um, quite extreme. I had a full time job at the at the same time. I was working in IT, and so working into fixing computers, um, spending my time at the physiotherapists to get myself better. Uh, at one stage, an idea popped into my mind. I always wanted to give something back to the community. All my friends were in sustainable energies, working on clean engines, clean energy, and things like that. And I was like, well, I feel like I also need to do something that's more significant than fixing computers. And that's how I thought maybe I can become, you know, like what my new friends are doing. My new friends were physiotherapists. When you spend three times a week for six months at the physios, they're, 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 basically, your, they're basically your friends, right? <clears throat> And um, that's when the idea spawned. And it took several years for me to take an actual step just to get out of my comfort zone, to start uh, getting back to school, studying, picking up a, picking up a, a job that went into uh, therapy, and then graduating, changing country, um, finding a job again, and then starting a completely new life. That's completely different. I, I used to fix computers, now I fix humans. It sounds similar, but it, it, it really isn't. It's a lot more, actually, it's a lot more gratifying, I think, uh, to help humans. Amazing. If, if you can. Uh, so that's, in a sense, yeah, my, uh, my journey into therapy. That's an amazing story, Stefan. Such an amazing story. <laughs> you know, I have another... Uh, podcast that I host. It's called Work Yogi Diaries. It's about people on amazing journeys of work. And in fact, this story fits very well there as well. So I was like, wow, uh, this is one person who is, you know, pursuing something that's that he's passionate about and making a difference. So that's beautiful. And it's, yeah, so I take, mm-hmm. go ahead. It's, it's tough. No, no, it's, it's really, it's really tough, actually. At, um, about in, in your 30s, in your early 30s, when you decide to, uh, when, you know, my life was good. My life was really good. I could run as much as I wanted. I was living in Hong Kong, tons of mountains, tons of sea. Uh, the, the, the pay was really good. The, the job was gratifying. I didn't hate my job at all. I was working in eight to five, but I, I really enjoyed it. And I was exercising as much as I wanted. But to just do that such a, you know, 180 degrees turn, that's what's difficult to yep. actually take the step to change. Change is always scary. And then, and then for five, five, six years, uh, studying is really tough. Every day wondering, why did I give up my job? Because you don't get paid when you study. <laughs> so, um, and then once you start in your new career, maybe it's gratifying, but also you feel old. I feel old every day. I feel so old. Um, but... I guess I guess overall definitely definitely worth it if 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 you can do it if you can really pursue your passion it's not always going to be easy actually I think it's always going to be very difficult but hopefully in the end you know 100% worth it Absolutely uh, I have a uh, basic technical question and many of folks who are listening to this may have uh, this question as well so in the US we have a chiropractor we have a physical therapist and of course, we have orthopedic, um, you know, surgeons or orthopedicians, and these are the typical folks we go to when we need to get fixed. Now, uh, when you say osteopath, and then you also have physical therapy, do you have the same system uh, in, in Vietnam, or is it different? So it's it's different in every country, and in Europe, osteopaths are different from in the US, where in, uh, in the US, a DO is a medical doctor, fully licensed as an MD. And from what I understand, in Europe, osteopaths are not medical doctors, so I cannot perform surgery or prescribe medication, for example. But we focus on all the therapeutic aspects of osteopathy. And it differs from chiropractic in the sense that we do do manipulations when necessary. Um, but our approach is a lot more gentle and laid back to that of chiropractic. Um, 
We also have what's called visceral and cranial osteopathy, where we focus a lot more on the internal organs and the way the head functions, say for headaches or other dysfunctions or digestive dysfunctions in particular in uh, babies. And as for physical therapy, where it differs is our treatments are mostly uh, passive for the patient, which means the passive seldom needs to do anything. The, the patient just needs to lie down, which is really useful in acute lower back pain. You know, those moments where you have a back pain and you can't move, you can barely move your legs. Uh, that's how much painful it is for you. So a physical therapist might want to prescribe you some exercises, but you can't do those exercises because, because it hurts. This is where we're quite useful because we do the mobilizations for uh, the patient. Now, all of these jobs have things in common. All of them have the same goal of getting the patient better um, through movement, a little bit of exercising, a little bit of massage, a little bit of all these things. It's just the approach might be a little bit uh, different. What the oste osteopaths like to say is that we see the human body as one single unit, as a whole. It's not because you have back pain that we need to focus on your back. As a matter of fact, very often your back pain does not come from your back. So we treat the other things and um, that's how we approach the, the human body. It might be an ankle sprain that turns into back, back pain. So we would treat the symptoms and we'd also treat the ankle sprain, for example. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. That's that's uh, so clear. That thanks thanks for clarification on that. And you also started a YouTube channel, uh, right a year ago, I think, on called Safe Motions. It's a very cool channel. Uh, folks who are listening to this should check it out. Short videos on exercises that you can do for prevention, strengthening. So, talk to us a little bit about like what's behind Safe Motion. What got you inspired to do that? Well, I. I see a lot of people who have gotten hurt. That's my job. And I found that there's a lot of similarity in their process of injury. Uh, basically, we all do the same mistakes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us, when we do these mistakes, we don't know we're doing those mistakes. And so what I wanted to do is educate um, people about how they get injured most of the times and how to avoid it because i find myself day in day out saying the same things to my patients uh, you're doing that mistake again but i can't tell them that because it's not again for them it's the first time it happens to them sometimes mm -hmm. so they don't know and i feel like especially in the running community which i'm, I'm part of part of a group we, we run together if i can at least help them understand why they get injured at least they can make an educated decision. Should I do that thing that's really stupid to do, although I know it's going to hurt, as opposed to what they used to think? I'm going to do that, and I'm not even thinking I'm going to get hurt. I'm just going to do it. I do, you know, they, they don't realize this is going to hurt them further down the road. Maybe not right now, but in 10 years. And 10 years may seem like a long time, but when you're in your 30s, 10 years later, you're still in your 40s, I do hope that you still want to be running like if you were 20 when you're 40. Um, so I want to point out that an injury process can start 10 years, 20 years earlier. And it's a process that can develop and worsen over decades. Um, we all want to hopefully run when we're in our 60s, maybe even in our 70s. I don't know, as long as possible, right? Absolutely. So that that was that was the idea. I wanted to uh, help more people. Uh, all the sessions that we do at the hospital is we have forty minutes with a patient. Um, we see them as much as they need to see us, and then um, that's that's about it. If I'm able to make the information available to the runners, then they can go and review and learn as much as they need to. They don't need me for that, and I think, I think in a sense, that's much more helpful. And then there was COVID. So uh, we were all in semi-lockdown. Um, uh, and so I had, I had a lot of time and a lot of boredom. Um, 
and one of my friends had a good camera and he enjoyed filming so we started together that 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 channel within an hour we had we had the name we had we had we had the domain uh, we registered and then we shot we shot our first video within I don't know, the two days. It was a lot of fun to, to, to make. Uh, I didn't know how YouTube worked. So he taught me, he showed me. And today this is almost, almost a year later um, where I'm trying to do everything by myself. Uh, and it's become sort of a passion now. Yeah, beautiful. Sounds like me uh, in terms of uh, <laughs> how we started, at the, started the channel around the same time. And mm. uh, and I and I love your videos. A lot of the visuals that you share uh, show uh, parts of Vietnam. So someone for someone like me who's never traveled to Vietnam, it's a nice introduction. Uh, so you're doing a lot of you're doing a lot of service to the Vietnam, uh, you know, tourism <laughs> organization <laughs> as well. I think you know, inviting people to come and check it out. Yeah. So thanks Whenever for that. Whenever the world reopens, <laughs> you're welcome. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, moving on to your uh, running journey itself, you know, um, you seem to, A, you know, love trails, you love ultras, and you seem to have taken a liking for multi-day, you know, uh, trail format, uh, ultra formats, right? And uh, so let's talk a little bit about those uh, two big uh, races that you've done. Uh, one is, of course, the Gobi, uh, you know, Gobi Desserts, it's called the Gobi, Gobi March. Run. yeah. Uh, and March, the other yeah. one is Atamaka. So let's let's get into that. So first thing I want to hear from you, and I think the viewers will want to hear as well as, uh, you know, Gobi Desert. It's in the middle of Mong Mongolia. Uh, it's a desert. How do you prepare for something like that? It's a 250 kilometers uh, race over seven days. Uh, how do you prepare yourself mentally, physically, and why did you choose to do something as uh, challenging as that? Uh, <clears throat> You have to be a little bit unconscious um, the first time around. <laughs> There's this excuse. The first one you do, you have no idea what to expect. And the second time, you're suicidal. Um, I'm joking. But I, I want to quote this. Uh, he's, he's an amazing runner. He's, he's, he's uh, meant to be the, um, the fittest uh, person on the planet, apparently. He's got 4% body fat. Anyway, his name's... Dean Karnasis, and he ran 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days. And overnight, at the end, he was missing his family. So he ran across the US back home. I think his last marathon was in York, which he completed in about three hours. And then he ran across, I believe he lives in maybe uh, 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 California. I might be wrong, but literally ran across the US after running 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days. So he was he was at one of our uh, races, I think the, the second one that I did, and I remember vividly his quote where, um, so the organizers of these races in that kind of format, you run 250 kilometers or 150 miles in uh, seven days, you get one day race, one long day, you have to carry everything with you, your food, your um, equipment, change of clothes, toothbrush, you name it, toilet paper, if you need it. Um, they provide the tent and they provide uh, medical, of course, medical service if you need it, and uh, water. You have the choice of uh, hot water and cold water. Well, cold, as cold as it gets in a desert. And that's it. And you get a maximum of 10 liters of water, I think, per day, if I remember correctly. That includes your shower or cleaning your clothes and drinking water. And Dean Karnasis was sitting there at the end of the day. And he was looking at his bottle of water and he said, that's, that's all we get. And he was like, where is the love? <laughs> and I thought that was great. You've got an amazing champion. who's just got a, a you know, a, a gift. His body is just, um, science is baffled. And he said, where's, where's the love? Um, so these are tough races to prepare for and tough races to challenge yourself mentally. I think the first race, um, I started training seriously three months before the event, which now I realize is not too late, but hey, I was in my 20s, so invincible, right? Um, and 
I had a background of running, but not that much. I just ran a little bit. And so what I did for those three months is I increased my mileage uh, rather quickly, which you should not do. Um, in terms of my mistakes, I've, I've, I've made them all, I think. Um, so during those three months, I started running about 80 kilometers a week, um, which is quite a lot. And luckily, I didn't get injured or I wasn't to the point I was overtrained. Uh, in terms of preparation, a lot of it is prepare for everything. That means buy, buy your equipment, prepare for that as well. You need to train with your equipment. Your running shorts, you need to choose it properly. Test them if they can last for multi-day runs. Test your food. That's the most important. When you're out there in the desert, after the third or fourth day, if you've only taken your favorite food, you're going to hate it. You're not going to be able to eat it. At one stage, I couldn't even bear the blandness of water. I couldn't drink. I was so dehydrated. And this is dehydration. De dehydration. Again, I didn't know it back, back then. I was so dehydrated that I couldn't eat or drink. That is dangerous. Um, I managed to drink hot water. That's the only thing that I could uh, actually ingest. Um, so you have to tr you have to train for everything. You have to for that kind of multi-day event. You have to buy a variety of foods, a variety of flavors, tastes. Some stronger, some less strong. Uh, you have to find the most effective ways of uh, getting some calories because you have to carry it as well. Um, if you carry sausages and things like that, actually, there was a group of Italians. Um, they were amazing runners, and they finished, I think, in the top ten at the end of the. Uh, runs, but they carried uh, their favorite foods, which is cheese and salami, <laughs> which we couldn't believe it. We all had our dried, freeze, freeze-dried food, everything super technical, and they had salami and and then and then cheese. And then in terms of electrolytes, you know, we all have our specific sports drink. They had water, sugar, salt. Mm -hmm. Top ten finishers of uh, overall, um, but. If you're if you're just starting in that kind of race, I don't recommend that because salami carries a lot of water. You'll have to carry that with you in your backpack at the beginning of of the run. You don't want to have a heavy backpack to run with because you're stuck with that backpack. Everything your life is in there, so you have to train with extra weight on your uh, on your back as well. Um, so and the best way to train for it actually is to to go humble. Um, in your first race, your goal is to try and finish it, and that's it. Your experience during that first race will be your best training. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to and go. Is, you have um, to go do it. And this is like a, a desert, right? And you know, you have extreme temperatures. And for most folks who are going into these kind of multi-day adventure races, they don't live in these kind of conditions. So how do you simulate like a desert? kind of condition how, how do you prepare your body for something like that something extreme like that yeah it's it's quite hard um you have to make sure that you get comfortable with heat so there's a lot of ways you can do that i was living in uh you know in the region southeast asia so it does or even hong kong there, there are moments where it get where it gets uh really hot so it's easy for me to train in those conditions but um if you're not in that kind of country you have to put on um you know some some jackets, some things that are less breathable and get used to sweating. Um, in reality, it's that dry that I don't remember sweating that much. That's, that's the truth. But what you do want to be careful with is the sun. It's going to burn you. Uh, there's no doubt you have to protect yourself. Some people would wear long sleeves. For me, that was, I, I can't wear long sleeves. It's way too hot. So a lot of uh, sunscreen, uh, the maximum amount you can. I had a protective uh, hat so my neck doesn't get burnt. I mean, you have to be very careful with that. Uh, I had a friend who got sunburnt right there. So the uh, the sunglasses would protect part of it. He was white. He had the marks of the sunglasses, but around it on the sides, this is where he thought he was protected, but wasn't. He got sunburnt right there. Uh, you have to be really careful with that. It's You have to respect the desert, respect nature. They'll Nature will always win yeah. um but and this is like uh, and 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 this is you're doing what about almost uh 
five, six days, uh, 250 kilometers, right? So it's almost 40 kilometers, 50 kilometers a day, right? Yeah, it's about uh, a marathon a day, roughly. Okay. And uh, so you're just running during the day. Do you have to run during the night at all or? There is actually, they split it out. The last day is an easy day, which is about 15 kilometers. Uh, by then you're shattered anyway. You can't run one kilometer, let alone 15. Um, and right before that, there is a long day in the usual format, or at least what it was back then. And the long day, they make you, they make it such that you run overnight, uh, which, which is amazing running in the desert overnight. That's what makes it worth it. It's beautiful. And in any case, these races are so hard. Um, it becomes amazing because you feel like you're on another, another planet, but also if you're lucky that you find a group of people to run with who run at the same pace, then you're a group of sort of explorers of another planet. Mm -hmm. This feels, this really feels amazing. And this is why at the end of the race, everybody's like, I'll never do that again ever. Mm. And then the next year you find them again in the same race. <laughs> they register again for the torture. Yeah. And and that leads me to the next uh, your next adventure, which was in Atam Atacama Desert in Chile, right? Yeah. Um, so did you just sign up immediately after this, or you took a break and then went there? Oh, it took me two years <laughs> to recover. Um, I I wanted to go because this one was a little bit different. Um, so the Gobi Desert, the, the the first one, it was it was actually based in China. It's the it's the hottest spot in the in the in the planet. Apparently, it's uh, I forgot what it's called. I think it's called the Devil's Cauldron, something like that, where the devil cooks its meal. You know, that's how hot it's supposed to be. Um, and then the Atacama Desert is is the desert that's the closest to the sky. So that was really exciting. And when I was there, it was unbelievable. Uh, you, It's nighttime, you look up and you feel you could literally pick up the stars with your bare hands. That's how close they feel. Um, unbelievable. And this one was a 250 kilometers run across the desert. So you run from one end of the desert to the other. It's a very long desert. So that feels quite cool as well. You know, it's, it's, you can say I've run across a whole desert. It's the same distance, but you could still show off a little bit. Mm -hmm. And of their races back then, it was also their uh, most difficult, aside from the Antarctic uh, race. The reason I signed up is because humans, we were, we're a bit, we're a bit crazy. I, I really enjoyed the challenge. I enjoyed the feeling that every single day, at the end of the day, everybody wants to quit. Um, but the next morning, everybody wakes up, you open your tent and you see people limping up to shower or to clean their feet or prepping up for the next day. All the people who the night before said, that's it, I'm done who genuinely thought about quitting they still stand up and they still get ready for the start and i thought that was really inspiring that really don't give up mentality it just it just it just need a couple of hours sleep and for some reason as a group everybody found the motivation to keep on going in that torture it's it's really really tough especially if it's your first time if it's your first day your first night you're saying there's no way I can carry on like that for another uh, five or six days. Just no way. Every morning, people still carry on. Um, I remember at the Atacama race, the first day, the, 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 the winner of the year before sprained his ankle on the very first day and came back to camp. And he had to, he had to stop. His injury was too bad. He could not carry on, which is the wise thing to do. You don't want to do an extra five days on a sprained ankle. That sprained ankle is going to haunt you for the decades to follow. So a huge respect for a great athlete who knew when it was time to call it quits, even though it's the first day, the first hours, um, that's the right thing to do. Register for the next race the next year when your ankle is better. Um, yep. But yeah, exactly. uh, completely different experience. The first, the first run, I did it in 65 hours. And the second run, I trained differently. I couldn't run any kilometers a week. I tried to train a little, a little more, um, in a, in a, in a smarter way. I got, I got wiser. 
and I got a little bit more technical. I was more experienced as a runner, and I finished it the Atacama race in 45 hours. So there was a 20 hours difference between the first and the second one, the same distance. Um, on a race that was harder, so that shows, it goes to say that experience for that kind of thing is really everything. Before registering for a race like that, you do want to be familiar with technical trails and, and trail runs to begin with. If you're a road runner and go to those desert runs, I think it's going to be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Although possible, you know, humans have a lot of grit. So yeah. why not? Mental strength. No, makes sense. So you, you said you did some things different in terms of training. Uh, what what did you do different from the first one to the second one? And how, that seemed to have helped you as well. Yeah, the, the, the first one was sheer volume. I was just running every day. It was beautiful. I was running uh, at lunchtime. Um, and I love taking a break from from work. Uh, go for a 10k run, come back, take a shower, put on my suit and tie, all sweaty, go back to work, and I'd keep on sweating in front of my computer. Um, when I sweat, I sweat nonstop for hours. It doesn't. I don't, it doesn't stop. Um, a bit embarrassing, but um, listen, this 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 is what I enjoyed, and I did it because I enjoyed it. 10 kilometers lunchtime every day, and then a long run during the weekends. The second time around, I was like, well what if I do a better build up? What if I integrate some speed training? Um, I reduced my volume, included some speed training, maybe twice a week, not that much because it's long distance. There's no point doing too much speed training. But what you want to do is when you have time during the weekend, spend some time on your feet, go hiking, go hiking two days in a row, twice a day, three times in a row if you can. And that was it. My long weekends were not about running. They were just about spending time in my race shoes, uh, testing my socks, you know, testing the lubricant that you can put on your foot, taping your feet to see which one's the most comfortable and sleeping with your taping to see how it holds up the next day and the day after, um, you know, building up a strategy. That's, that's how I trained the second time. Um, I learned from my previous mistakes. Um, the amount of salt and sweat you get on your clothes, what you should wash. Uh, really, I didn't wash anything during seven days, um, but I took seven pairs of socks. Uh, my advice for multi-day events, if there's one thing you want to protect and carry heavy equipment for, it's for your feet. If it's extra insoles in your shoes, if it's extra socks, if it's lubricant for your feet, if it's nail clippers, Take care of your feet. You don't need a toothbrush. Wash your finger, toothpaste, brush your teeth with your finger. If you save 10 grams in your backpack by not taking the toothbrush, save that 10 grams. It's important. <laughs> uh, so that's that's what I learned basically for uh, for my second race. Awesome. Well, that, those are great, uh, great, great tips actually for anyone thinking about it. You know, I was reading about it on the on their website and. They've announced the race for 21 and 22. And I was like, you know, would I do it? And let me talk to Stefan. How does it, what does it take? <laughs> so thanks, thanks. That, that, that's amazing. Yeah, I have, and, I have uh, a ton of advice if, you're, if, if, if you want to try that. And, sorry, sorry, I interrupted you. But it just, it, I, just re- I just remembered, I really recommend a treat when you're, when you're, when you're halfway or something like that. Um, we took with a group of friends some freeze-dried blueberry cheesecake. It's all dehydrated. It's space food, basically. Um, And you have to put hot water to make it sort of puff up and become edible. But that blueberry cheesecake was amazing, even though it was freeze-dried. That was a treat. You know, it was, uh, we made it that far. Let's have a cake. It's, It's dead weight in our backpack. Doesn't bring it does bring a bit of um, nutrients, but not that not that much. It's not effective, but uh, still bring bring something that you want to give as a treat. Maybe not chocolate because that'll melt, but something like that. Yeah, yeah. And how many people typically are in these kind of races? Hundreds or uh, or more? 
when I did it, it was very small. The, the company's called Racing the Planet. I really recommend them. There were about 100 participants in the Gobi March, and there was just about that many um, organizers and volunteers. So it was almost a one volunteer per participant. A very well organized, uh, very well managed. Nobody got lost for more than you know they needed. We we all get lost. That's normal. It's part of the trails. But okay. um, we felt. I was about to say we felt really safe. No, that's not true. We didn't feel safe at all. Uh, I was caught in a sandstorm, and at the next check next checkpoint, I just I just. I just lashed out on the poor organizers. I just let go. I was yelling at the organizers. You guys are crazy. We're going to die out there. How can you do that? Um, because I'm, I'm quite heavy, 75 kilos, but there were some um, women running it and they were, I don't know, maybe 40 kilos. And in a sandstorm, they could get pushed out, trip, and then fall um, down the mountain. It was a very narrow path. Um, Sometimes it's dangerous, and 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 what what one of the girls did is she waited for a few guys to come, and they ran as a group, so they were more protected. So no, it, it I sorry I didn't feel safe, not all the time, but the organizers did everything they could, and they were present. I I, I remember I was losing one of my toenails, and the medical staff there. Uh, she had a little needle and she planted a needle down into into my nail and i didn't know that but uh, as as blood builds up under your toenail uh, it puts pressure on the toenail this is when you lose your toenail so if you drill a little hole into your toenail the blood has one way to escape and there's no pressure and you might save your toenail um it's 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 frightening when when you when you have that medic with a needle trying to plant uh, 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 that needle into your toenail that's hurting and bleeding it's horrible it's a horrible feeling um <laughs> but this, thanks for great this was in uh, gobi this was in gobi or was this in that this was the nail thing that was in atacama i think in the gobi march I, I lost about uh seven toenails and atacama i lost only three see experience uh does everything you save some toenails with uh, toenails with experience and what about shoes? Uh, are you use uh, what? Are you you wearing hiking shoes or any kind of specialized shoes for this, or is it regular running shoes that you you use? Sure, you 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 wear some you wear some hybrids. Uh, you don't want something that's too heavy because you're still running, and uh, you wear trail trail running shoes. I was wearing Salomon because I really liked their grip and they hold on really tight to your feet, which is important when you run in mud. The Gobi March within the first day. I think 25% of the participants had lost one shoe. And so the organizers had to drive back to town to buy some shoes for these participants so they could continue to run just because uh, the shoelaces weren't tied tied up well. Salomon has this um, special tie lock and they hold on really well to your shoes. There's a lot more brands of um, trail running shoes these days with the different type of, of of heel drop so a lot more choices nowadays but back then for me um salomon trail runs were great yeah terrific terrific no that's that's amazing and uh, so are you planning to do any more of this uh they have uh, the namib desert and antarctica on their list <laughs> this is it you're good Oh no! I would love to do one more when when the time comes. I remember running with a guy who was sixty six years old in one of those races, and he looked exactly like my dad. That was really disturbing. <laughs> I was running in the desert for seven days with my dad. Uh, anyway, uh, and it gave me a lot of hope. Right? He's sixty six. He can do that. I've got time. I don't want to put pressure on myself. I'll do it when the time is right. I do want to get this experience again. It's it's life-changing, and I want to experience it uh, one more time. But not anytime soon. It's not this year. It's not next year. Obviously, we can't travel that much. As for the uh, Antarctic race, obviously, well, you have to qualify for it. You have to have run 
I think three of their races, two of their races within the past two years or something like that. So I'd have to redo all of those before I can qualify for the Antarctic race. And the Antarctic race, I think, is 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 gruesome. It's it's really mentally challenging because I think you live in a boat, at least back then. And the 250 kilometers, you had to run it in a loop in ice. So you'd be running around with snow up to your waist, basically, um, as long as you want every day. As long as within the end of the week, you've run 250 kilometers. That's crazy. So you go and sleep for a couple hours in the boat. You wake up. Okay, I'm going to do five loops. You spend three hours doing five loops. You go back to sleep. You eat. You go out again. I mean, the mental toughness, that's just another level. That's... I, I can't imagine being in that small group of people in that boat stuck for seven days. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. That, but that sounds, then again, maybe, maybe one day. So what's next for you? What, what are you planning next? I've, in terms of running, I'm going to stick to smaller races. Um, I try to do uh, 100K in Vietnam. Uh, a couple a few years ago i think i was way under trained for that i had just trained for uh three months i go on and off running unfortunately uh, my base level is about 15 kilometers a week which is not that much and i failed i i ran 60 kilometers i was exhausted and my brain failed me My brain was thinking, I've got a friend waiting for me with a bottle of wine. I've got my wife who's really bored in town. I should really go and meet them, take care of my wife. Um, I'm a quit. And so I quit. Um, And now it's haunting me. So I have to do this race again. I have to finish it just for the sake of, you know, completing something. I hate not finishing something. Yeah. All right. So that makes sense. Yeah. If not this year, um, it's in August. So I feel like I'm not. I'm not ready for that yet. Maybe next year. I've learned to take my time. Being a therapist, I see people getting injured. I've learned that I I want to save my knees for when when I'm 66 and I can run another desert run. Yeah. So let's see. Maybe next year, uh, 100k again. Awesome. That's that's so uh, that's awesome. We uh, wish that uh, you can get that done, and we do also wish that. Uh, we get to see you back on those desert uh, adventures. Uh, it's just so fascinating. I'm, uh, you know, just uh, learning from you about what it takes. It's 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 a dimension that I never wasn't aware of uh, until you told me about it. And uh, it's it's awesome, really. Uh, thanks for sharing your story there. So sure. you know, we're going to move to the next part of um, our conversation, which is I have a few rapid fire questions for you for fun. Okay. And uh, <laughs> let's get into that. <laughs> I'm hanging on to my chair right now. <laughs> yeah, they're all running related, so you know it's going to be fun. Okay. Yeah. So I know you're a you know you're a traveler. You've traveled across. You've lived in many parts of the uh, world. Um, so what's the the best city for you when when it when it comes to running? What would you rate? Hands down. Hands down, Hong Kong. I've, I've lived in, I think, a dozen cities around the world. Um, Paris is beautiful. Um, I mean, Rio, you're running along the beach, you're on cliffs. It's, it's amazing. Uh, but Hong Kong has everything to offer. There's a little bit of mountain. There's a little bit of sea. There's a little bit of city. All of this within such a short travel distance, within a 15 minutes cab ride, you're on the beach. From the beach, 15 minutes cab ride, you're up a hill. You've got trails, you've got roads. It It's just a hyper-condensed version of absolutely everything that you need, I think. And so I, I like the variety. I, I, I can't just run road or just run trails. I, I, I need a bit of everything. And then going to the beach in the same city, it's just, it's just unbelievable. So hands down, Hong Kong. Perfect, perfect. No, that's uh, that's a great testimonial for Hong Kong. <laughs> I'm yeah, they, they should pay me for that. <laughs> 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 Hong Kong and the Vietnam Tourism Board. Yeah, or absolutely. <laughs> You're doing I'm wearing a t-shirt from work. Vietnam, right? Yeah, it says oh, yeah. Vietnam right, right here. There you go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
Absolutely. What's your favorite post uh, long run guilty pleasure? Food wise. <laughs> wine. <laughs> yeah, Why drink else? wine too. <laughs> I'm French. I, I I can't I can't remove that from me. So don't drink right after a run. It's inflammatory. It'll it'll lengthen your recovery time, but a couple of days later or maybe the next day yeah yeah wine is amazing good wine sharing that with friends is it just tastes so much better if you can taste because sometimes with dehydration the the taste buds get uh <laughs> you, you lose the taste which is horrible um all right, so yeah all right. guilty pleasure uh, wine terrific a little if, bit. everything so uh, i know you you have a french background so do you only drink your favorites of french wine or are you kind of someone who experiments with different wines no, no, my favorite are not French wine. It's it's all 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 wines that are good are good to drink. Um, yeah. All right. What's your favorite running gadget? Oh wow. Um. Oh, there's so many. Oh wow, my favorite one. Let's see. Uh, there. It might not be my favorite, but it's pretty nifty. It was a, a solar-powered battery that you could charge everything with because it, let's say you're running with your Garmin in a desert run, uh, you're out there for seven days, there's no battery charger, you definitely don't want to carry a huge battery pack. So solar, solar-powered, it's, it's, it's amazing. Split up the wings, uh, leave it out for a couple of hours, it charges a little bit, and enough to charge your watch. Done. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Terrific. Um, if not running, what else would you, do you like as an activity? Um, YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> YouTube videos. Editing. <laughs> Ed editing yeah, yeah absolutely editing is fun um editing is fun is and, and terribly hard so i'm gonna i'm actually gonna put it at number three i think i really enjoy uh, going to the gym i enjoy the feeling of being at the gym i'm lucky enough that i work out in a large gym in vietnam there's there's uh, here in ho chi minh city there's almost no confinement so gyms are open and I, I love the feeling. I love meeting friends at the gym. I don't enjoy the music they put there, but who cares? I have my own headphones. Um, it feels motivating to be around people who enjoy being physically active in general. It's motivating. And they have all the gadgets. They have all the foam rollers, Bose balls, TRXs, uh, Vibras, and you name it. All, all the fun and trendy stuff that I love to play with. And they have a swimming pool inside the gym. Wow. So everything to make me happy. I'd say, if not running, I'd be a gym rat. All right. All right. Makes sense. All right. Makes sense. <clears throat> Any favorite book or a movie that's influenced your endurance life? Absolutely. Uh, so for me, it was a documentary about Dean Carnarsis that I mentioned earlier. And that documentary uh, documents how he ran 50 kilometers in 50 states. So 50 marathons in 50 states uh, in 50 days. And the doctors that followed him and were trying to understand why he didn't develop any muscle soreness. It turns out that apparently he's got a medical condition that makes him not feel fatigue. And so that's how he's able to run endlessly without feeling ever tired. It's a disease. Um, but that was eye-opening. He did some really inspiring uh, things in terms of charities and in terms of running. So incredible personality, uh, things that, um, you know, make you want to become um, like, like, like someone. That's, that's how he inspired me. Um, and I discovered him when I was maybe, I don't know, in my, in my mid-20s. So it's it stuck with me for 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 twenty years. I I do want running to be something that's open to others, that's helpful to others, that's inspiring for others to get themselves better. This is better, not just physically but mentally as well. Yep, yep, makes sense. And Dean Karnazes, because I think many consider him to be 
pioneer in ultra running, you know, craze that's taken off in the U.S. and across the world. I believe uh, mm. ultra running is what is uh, you know what was marathon uh, many years ago, right? So yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. yeah, that's so true. Mm. Terrific. Hey, uh, Stefan, it was a uh, love this conversation. Uh, uh, what a kind of uh, coming up to a wrap up at the moment. Anything you want to? Any final wrap up comments before we call it close? Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for 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 having me um, here. I think to wrap it up, I I strongly believe in running because it's one of those sports that you don't need anything to carry with you. You just need a pair of shoes, and you can run at your own pace you don't need to prove anything to anyone it's a very personal journey so in that i appreciate that you can build up to the level that you want to achieve at your own pace and i think that's very important in life in general i think it brought me a lot of life lessons um, and i hope it can bring everybody some life lessons of perhaps persistence courage pacing um, you know, ego, it's also for some people meditative. Um, it's a release. If you do some sprinting, then you can also let it all out. That feeling of achievement, if you're racing, it brings so much. I, I can make so many parallels between running and uh, life that with other sports are not so clear. Running for me is really an obvious one. I recommend anybody to try and start on a journey of learning how to run. Yep. Beautiful, beautiful. Hey, uh, Stefan, thanks for again uh, joining uh, joining me on this conversation. And yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely. Have a wonderful day, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you. You too. Good night then. <laughs> thank you. Bye bye. 